Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordic podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordics to discuss industry passions, challenges and ideas. I'm Charlotte Roberts and I help businesses thrive by connecting with top data freelance talent. And today I'm your host. Firstly, I'd just like to say a massive thank you to everyone for joining us today. Um, and of course, we're going to be talking about trans, um, transform your business with data-driven decision-making. Um, so before we get into the actual podcast questions, um, we're going to go around to the table and introduce everybody. Um, so if Caroline, if you'd like to go first, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. My name is Caroline Udstam and I work at uh, a company called Nielsen IQ as a Nordic sales lead. And we work <coughs> a lot with the data connected to what's my best assortment in store or how can I optimize pricing or merchandising and space questions. So mainly within fast moving consumer goods, but also within uh, other retail. And uh, yeah, when I'm not at work, yeah, a big passion of mine is uh, running and reading. So, so that's my big passion. Nice. Thank you very much for that introduction and love, some lovely passions there as well. I'm hoping you're not running um, at the moment here. It's very cold in Stockholm. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it might slippery. be a bit too cold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Nina, if you'd like to introduce yourself next, that would be lovely. Yeah. Uh, I'm Nina Boetius Undhagen. I work currently at a consultancy firm called Innovia and uh, we specialize in AI and big data. I'm currently on a contract at Handelsbanken where I'm their chief product manager for their data platform that we're building up on-prem and on cloud. Uh, I've been there for one and a half year. So that's kind of work-wise. And personally, I've just taken up a new hobby, woodworking, and it's kind of eating up my entire world. And that's all I'm doing and all I'm thinking about, like building tables and stuff. But um, yeah, I'll keep like kind of try to keep my focus on data during this whole <laughs> Oh, perfect. Lovely. Thank you very much for, for that. And um, it's practical as well, I suppose, that hobby. At least you you can build yourself something out of it at the same time. <laughs> nice. Sylvia, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yes. Hey, my name is uh, Sylvia Ndikmasabo. I work at Ikabankin as a chief analytics officer. Uh, my focus has changed a little bit over the time that I've been with, with Ikavankin. Uh, I've been with them around four and a half years and initially I started out with sort of building the analytics function, getting analytics sort of more uh, sort of penetrating in the organization. Uh, nowadays my focus is very much on data, you know, moving, uh, sort of driving our migration to cloud sort of migrating, building sort of more advanced models in, 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 in cloud and driving value from that. So, uh, so yeah, and then also a lot of cultural things as well, like how do we make our organization more data driven and, and, and how do we realize that in a real way? Uh, and when I'm not doing that, uh, I have three young children, so I spend a lot of time with them. Uh, also finding time to not spend with them, that's also important. <laughs> um, but I also really enjoy reading uh, fiction books, fantasy books. That's really my uh, what I spend a lot of my time on when I'm not uh, hanging out with the kids. Yeah. Oh, nice. Lovely. When, when you can find the time, I'm sure. Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> Lovely. Oh, thank you very much for that introduction. And Michaela, last but certainly not least, um, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that would be lovely. Uh, my name is Mikhail Salnikov. Uh, I'm running a company, a small company called uh, Lumios Consulting. Right now, I'm delivering services to a major uh, Swedish bank where I'm transforming their data and analytics approach in the operations area. Previously, I have been working for Klarna and Nordia, and my passion is in scuba diving. Wow, interesting. So everybody's got some great hobbies and we've obviously got some really great people on the podcast as well, especially with the topic that we've got upcoming. So thank you very much, everybody, for them introductions. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here and Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. I'll jump straight now into the first question. So the first question then is from Sylvia, and it's how um, important is it to govern your data? Um, So Sylvia, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this uh, question, and then I'll let everybody jump in. Yeah, so I mean, within the the context of becoming more data driven, because this is something that a lot of companies have been talking about or are in the midst of talking about, um, especially within the the Swedish uh, market in general. Uh, I've worked in the UK before. This was never really much of a discussion as as it is uh, of a hot topic in Sweden. So within that sort of space, I've been reflecting a lot around governance, data governance, because a big part of us being able to leverage uh, all this new technology that we're starting to see uh, coming out in the market, generative AI, which is becoming a a huge management sort of buzzword that or buzz phrase or buzz topic. Um, You know, how 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 much do people sitting in these positions understand uh, that the role of governance plays in actually making these things a reality? I think within within this space, of course, we understand without like, you know, really stringent governance practices within a company, you don't get these tools to work the way you you see in the demos or, you know, you see when you go to 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 some Google, you know, Google event where they're showing you how Duet will just work, you know, as long as you have the data available. So I, I just wonder, you know, I've just been reflecting in this space, you know, how how if you know, if we really want to take the next step in regards to to leveraging data, you know, how important is it for us to govern our data? Uh, and and how do we how do we based on that based on the answer to that question, what is then the next step? So yeah, I I, I find it very difficult to do anything uh, when you don't have any governance in place. That's kind of, it doesn't really sound doable at all, or it sounds like you have a bucket of data and yeah, have fun because you can't do anything about it. You can't understand it. You can't interpret it. You can't use it and you can't trace it and you can't see who's done what and you can't have any kind of like, and with the AI 
the AI Act coming up, and you can't. I, I can't even see how you can get around it now, today. But I think that's that's good with the new tools because I think for all of us that's worked a long time with data, we have already always preached like quality of data and that it's governed and so on, but it hasn't really been on everyone's agenda. But I think now with the new tools and so on, it gets so apparent and so visual if the data is not governed because then it is, as you say, Nina, then it's just a bucket of data and what does it mean? Is it good or bad? Is it uh, high or low? Is it? So I think all of those new things that is happening on, on, on the data and insights market is actually playing in our favor because now suddenly everyone understands that if we don't have the uh, know our data, we can't do anything with it or we can do very little with it. But maybe it's also because we've been trying to do, we, we tried to put all the data in the bucket and try to use it and it didn't really work. We see a lot of failed attempt to create uh, lakes of data and then sort of discovering that, ooh, okay, uh, we started off great, but now we can't really use it. I'm, I'm guessing that's sort of a result from some sort of experience that it doesn't, it's very difficult to work like that. I, I personally uh, like to imagine data as, uh, as kind of a lifeblood of, of a business. And what data governance is, is uh, it's like a set of rules and protocols that ensures that this lifeblood goes smoothly, it remains pure, it nourishes your organization. So it's, um, it's basically data governance, it's about accuracy, consistency, it's about security, uh, it's, it's, it's a backbone of confident uh, decision-making. Um, when you govern your data effectively, you're ensuring compliance with regulation, but you're also building a trustworthy foundation upon which your entire business strategy can stand and develop. So that's kind of the way I envision the data governance. Yes, and, and I think within, within the data community, within the community where data is readily used so analysts data scientists i think governing data is it's 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 clear why it's important to govern data but data is not produced by data analysts and data scientists and 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 those of us managing data platforms it's it's produced by core systems and processes in product and you know finance and and these these parties don't have data governance as something that is high on the priority list for them. However, they want to make data-driven decisions. They want to, you know, have actionable insights ready at their fingertips. You know, they want to. So I guess my, you know, I've been trying to reflect how do we make data governance as boring of a topic <laughs> as, as many of, of these sort of recipients or stakeholders find data governance? How do we make it um you know, high on their agenda. Uh, so we've we, we've had a lot of discussions around, you know, driving uh, driving use cases from a value point of view. So now, when it comes to our our cloud platform, we've put up the first set of data, but now we have to create some kind of roadmap to push more data into the platform. But that cannot be driven from an from a platform or an analytics perspective. It has to be driven from a from a business point of view. But for us to also leverage that data in a good way, we have to insist on governance, almost make it mandatory 
uh, that you know any data that we put on the platform has to have an information owner, has to have metadata clearly you know defined, has to all these things. Um, and and that is I almost feel that like that is the only way. It has to be mandatory. There is no other option, you know, to make business prioritize governance in order for them to see the value on the other side because they don't believe you before they do the thing. <laughs> they only believe yeah. you once they see the value. But in order to get to the value, they have to put some effort in, right, themselves within their processes mm -hmm. and systems, etc. Um, but I think that's, I don't know, is that controversial? <laughs> no, but I, I agree with you. I think that's the tricky part because it's just as we said, you say, a lot of us that works with the data, it's not us that's taking the decisions on data or are the owners of the decision or we don't even realize the effects of what we're doing. Uh, that's happening in the business. So I think you need to push ownership there. But I, I used to say that data governance is like the dental floss. No one need, no one wants it, but everyone needs it <laughs> because it's not like the fun part of data. But I agree with you. I think we need, you need to push ownership and to be very clear that this is what needs to be in place. Otherwise, we can't do anything with it. But you can also show a bit what can we do if we have the data governed or what can't we do since we don't have it so that you like create almost like a push and pull so you can understand why is it important but i think accountability and ownership needs to be pushed from from the data analyt analytics communities because they are not the ones that are actually making the decisions on this data but one thing i also think that some sort of mandatory uh, we have uh, at my current place that we had uh, in order to get uh, people to access data to to open up the data to consumption we need to have uh, ownership in place that's the uh, requirements so that's i think that's a quite quite, quite a good like uh, so it's possible to put it into the data platform but that kind of gives you some sort of space to find ownership and try to find someone who's willing to take that on but not stopping the entire thing because the other thing the other other sort of the aspect is that okay we can't get any data in into the platforms because we don't have any data owner and that's also kind of difficult to find and it's very difficult to get people to say yes to data ownership because it's usually unclear to them what does that mean? Uh, I know about this this data domain, but what does it mean to be a data owner? That sounds kind of scary. Okay, so is that on me now, or am I responsible? If some someone does something wrong, will I be killed for that? Or like, where does my responsibility end? So that's also a problem. Like, okay, so you're a data owner, but then you will have a data owner who says no a lot of the time. So I think governance is super tricky. Yeah, but I, I think it um, as, as a result it boils down not only to the uh, to the people actually running data governance and not only to people uh, running analytics and um, and data science in the organization it, it boils down to the entire dedication of the organization to um, to be data driven so it, it, it it's about the environment of the organization where um, everyone is um, understands the importance of the data and understands that data is um, is is something that um, no um, sensible decision making is possible without. I think that people uh, or at least I know 
I kind of I of course I agree with that, but also I know that I make a lot of decisions without data. Uh, that's kind of uh, not only me, but the entire organization has built up during the years without doing data driven decisions. So it's very easy to fall back on that behavior. So that's so I think that like to really have a culture where data driven decision is like the the common pattern. I think that's highly. I mean, I would be super. I I have never seen that anywhere where where it's really where it's really happened. I've seen people that do it and people are striving for it, but I I think it's very difficult, especially in organizations that has been founded and have uh, like they are rooted in a culture where decisions are made on kind of a gut feeling more than data. I think it's difficult to do that shift. Yeah, I think that's constantly um, a challenge. It's definitely uh, challenges that I've heard um, previously, even on other podcasts as well, where we've talked on the topic as well. But we'll move on now to um, to uh, the next question, which is Nina's question. Um, so Nina, you've asked, um, how do you how do you measure return of investment um, of your data initiatives? Um, so if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question, then I'll let everybody jump in. Yeah, so from a money perspective, it's super, super duper expensive to set up uh, well working data platforms. And it usually takes a long time before you get <coughs> any value out of it. Uh, and I normally see like, okay, so you would have like 1 million trillion money coming in from the AI solutions we will build. But then what we end up with is kind of platforms with not enough data in it and a couple of use cases implemented. So it's not that I have any great showcases that I can put off, but rather I'm very interested to hear like how, how do you, how do you measure this? Is there, is there a way this is a very it's a heavy investment and it's difficult to see when you what kind of expectations do you have and what do you I mean yeah see my general question here I think so like I said we're we're migrating to GCP and and part of the investment like business case was that um when it comes to any 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 sort of um project that you put on your investment that you amortize over time you have to be able to follow up on the value side. Um, so what we decided to do was actually identify three really big use cases um, that we know would deliver some potential value over like a 10 year period um, that we could easily follow up. So we, we picked uh, three marketing, actually marketing use cases um, to justify the investment value even though we know that technique, I mean, in, in, in practical terms, the platform can be used for many different kinds of use cases. It's probably gonna drive a lot of value if, um, if people actually leverage it. But what we wanted to make sure was that we could, first of all, track the value quite easily, but also cover the cost of the investment, even if we never use the platform, as you say, even if, even if it comes to the point where you know we this this becomes some kind of sunk cost because the, the organization hasn't really hasn't really been able to 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 live up to the expectation related to the platform um that, that's how we chose to do it um alternatively i mean 
our where where Caroline maybe has has more insight into that where they came from Ica they they decided to do the whole big you know shift at once um and then I'm not really sure how they they worked with that from a value point of view but that that's the contrast we made we decided to do use case driven sort of migration uh, versus a li lift and shift or some kind of you know migration from scratch um, in order to be able to fund it basically or measure some kind of return um, on the investment and so far it's sort of working we're just at the beginning of the of the value side so we'll see <laughs> yeah that was really concrete really good thanks yes. hmm? And I think, uh, as Silvia said, I came from another part of the business before when we were colleagues and there we had much more, um, like, we had a lot of old platforms in place, we had a lot of legacy and some of them were like uh, on overtime, so we needed to, they were needed to be replaced. So what we did was that uh, some things we just needed to, to lift because, uh, 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 and, and the uh, sunset or decommission the old platforms and other things we created value and value stories for or what what would be the value of this but also in order to prioritize which data to lift first or which uh, so so there we did more of a combination because there we had other costs that that were replaced with the with the new solutions and with the cloud solutions uh, and then we also had some cases where we where we uh, uh, did more what would you call it, value stories, or put what would it be the value of if we could have this model or this forecasting in place, or if we have this one, what, what value would the organization gain? And then we're trying to have KPIs uh, or uh, in the definition of done, when when are we ready, or what, what will be the value if we do this shift? So we did a combination, becoming uh, old platforms and costs and taking on new, but also creating new value. Um, when we think about the return on investment, we organically think about uh, basically counting um, uh, dollars and cents or crowns and euros. <laughs> uh, but it's not only about this, it's uh, about understanding the transformative impact of, uh, of data that is, it is having on your business. Um, we, we should start with defining a crystal clear objective. Are we trying to aim? Are, are we trying to streamline operation? Are we trying to boost revenue? Are we trying to enhance customer experience? Why? Uh, why we? Why do we think about data? Why do we? Why we are trying to leverage data? And only then we try. We go to crunching the numbers. Uh, we need to look on the tangible outcomes like cost reduction or revenue growth, but also not not ignoring intangible benefits such as. Uh, improved decision making or uh, increased customer satisfaction. And uh, holistically, we should be thinking about it not just as evaluating the score, but understanding the entire playbook of how data is influencing uh, our our game, how it is influencing our business. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. That's uh, where I usually, I mean, that's such a good place to start. And it's also uh, quite complex uh, in a way. I mean, of course, that's, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. But it's, it, it's the thing, what I'm struggling with a little bit is that uh, we have, of course, objectives that are clear uh, or 
more or less clear. That's also not super super easy to to make. And let's say that we uh, we want to, for instance, in, in uh, there could be like we want to uh, automate uh, some of the more manual processes. Maybe that's one objective. And uh, it's hopefully that's kind of also what Sylvia said that the the data in the the platform. The idea is that it's supposed to be. It's not only about four or five use cases or one objective, but it's supposed to, it's such a big thing and it's supposed to serve so many purposes and, and bring value to basically the entire organization. So if it does its job well and what we intended to do, then the value should be like 10 or 100 times as big. Yes. And so it's, yeah, so it's so stretchy in that way. Yes. So it's and either I, I, worthless or worth huge. everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we we struggled a lot with that as well. And actually, when I, I just reflected on what Michaelo said, because after we sort of had gotten the the approval to 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 kickstart the project, uh, and we sort of got into the project, we realized that oh, wait a minute, we need to think more long-term. What vision do we have for this platform? And, you know, what kind of target architecture do we want to, you know, achieve in the long-term? So in the end, we had to take a step back, uh, as Michaelo said, we had to think about long-term, what are we trying to achieve? You know, what what kind of data organization are we trying to build? You know, um, so, I mean, technically it should go in that, in, in that order where you have a vision and you sort of break it down into these short, shorter term deliverables where, for example, for us, it's two years to establish the platform, establish data governance practices, you know, streamline our on-prem, you know, presence, et cetera, and then attach some kind of value to that delivery. And then, of course, there will be another delivery after that once we've leveraged or, or, or achieved some kind of value from, from that, but always sort of building towards some kind of long-term vision uh for for your platform um but yeah it's hard you can get sort of caught up in the big picture you can get sort of a little bit lost we we definitely it took us a year to build that case um so it's not easy and initially <laughs> no it's not easy and initially it's just the cost because at least for yeah. us there was so much to that needed to be in place as you say data governance uh, structure ways of working business rules and so on so what the business see is only if it, it's not even the tip of the iceberg, it's a snowflake on the iceberg because it's so much that needs to be in place. And that's just a, a cost and a lot of time. And then it's uh, everyone's waiting uh, for uh, the data to be in the cloud or in the new tool or to be accessible. But there's so much work and there's also a lot of change management and so on. So it, it hurts to make this transformation and it also takes so much energy before you actually see the value of what you're trying to achieve so even if you so I, there i think it's super great to have a good vision because then you can always fall back on that one because it's heavy it's some, sometimes like a wet blanket <laughs> with the transformation i think yeah because it's so hard to see uh, what you will gain in the end uh, while you're stuck yeah, yeah. 
Oh, nice. Some really good answers there. So we'll move on now to uh, Carolyn's ne uh, next question. Um, so Carolyn, you asked, how do you bridge the challenge to make the data available and, and accessible to everyone at different levels in the organisation? Uh, so if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question and I'll let everybody jump in. Yeah. Good. I think, I mean, I've had uh, various roles and positions throughout my career, but uh, regardless of if I've been a consultant or working at a company or whatever, I think a lot of the challenge is not connected to there not being enough data or not being enough insights, but it is sharing information between different departments or different layers of the organization or getting everyone to look at the same data and a lot of people is also scared of data and to they'll, they'll do as they've always done and so on. So how how do you make it more uh, maybe fun and interesting, but also make sure that everyone has the same view and looks at the same thing? Because I think it's so hard. It's uh, sometimes it's only part of the organization that sits with all the insights and it's, it doesn't come through to the other parts of the organization, I think. But the challenge is not not having data, it's actually sharing the data. Or do you see what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I would couldn't agree more. Uh, it's yeah, I wish it were a little bit more like, you know, when you have fika bread in the kitchen and you just say there is fika bread in the kitchen and there's like one million people there immediately. But <laughs> that's that's not what happens when you open up. Uh, the data for an organization a lot of people just go like okay and then never never even looks at it ever and uh, so i think that one way i i don't know if it really works but i'm thinking that uh, uh, a data catalog uh, is helpful i don't know if you have any experience of that being successful or or no, that's kind of I'm yeah it's interesting, right? Because I have worked in data-driven companies, like truly data-driven companies. Like I said, when, when I worked in the UK, being data-driven wasn't a discussion. You don't, you don't have that discussion in this way, like some kind of philosophical, like achievement thing that you need to achieve. It was, it was sort of in the fabric. You know, you always, you always validate, you always have numbers. Your boss is always asking you for numbers. You know, you're always, you know, questioning your decision making and that sort of was inherent. Um, and then, you know, as when, when I moved here, I also moved to a company that was being sort of that was partly owned by a, 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 a UK company. So they sort of had it in their blood as well. So it never really occurred to me that there was ever a question about being data driven. And those companies didn't really use data catalogs. It wasn't like that. Uh, in the way that we are now sort of trying to implement catalogs. But I know catalogs are more than just a glossary. It's also about documenting ownership and processes and managing access rights and things like that and 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 classification and all of that. But uh, and I think they're useful. But again, you know, I think something that that I've struggled with when it comes to sort of governance from a cataloging perspective is how to build these really complex domains and asset models and make that understandable to someone who's supposed to be sort of present in this world. Uh, it, it, it is very complex. It, it is very complex to bring people on board into that side of, of, of sort of onboarding people into data. And then, of course, there's the side of descriptive, you know, making access, making dashboards accessible to everyone. 
uh, that's also been a huge challenge. You know, we have maybe a hundred, a hundred dashboards and maybe 25, 30% are used regularly. So should we just get rid of the rest or, or what? Like what's the next step here? Um, so I think it, it is challenging because it has to be relevant in the moment that that person needs that information. Uh, and in order for them to even seek it out, it has to be in their blood, essentially. They need to, you know, they need to feel like making a gut decision is unnatural. Like, I don't have the information. How can I decide, you know, sort of? So I think the, the cultural change really is the hardest part of what you're talking about, Carol. Caroline, making data available is relatively easy. Building dashboards, it's relatively easy. You know, all of that compared to the cultural side, the pool. That's what we've struggled with the most, I would say, as well. Which is why I keep coming back to saying data governance should be mandatory, because then you can force everyone (laughs) to get involved. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I, I believe that uh, using data and having access to data should be... uh fun and enjoyable for everyone in the organization. I, I see unlocking the power of data to uh, to everyone in the organization as, um, as a kind of orchestrating a grand symphony. We start with investing into tools that are user-friendly, making data interaction a joy rather than an obligation. Uh, we create and tailor training programs uh, for different skill levels, um, we ensure that each team member, each, each organization member has knowledge to play their part in the data symphony. Uh, we foster a culture where data, pre- data is not a privilege, uh, but it is a shared resource. We break barriers between departments. We make data a universal language. It's really about creating an environment where everyone from the regular, from the entry level to the uh, C-suite, everybody feels confident and empowered to harness the insights that uh, the data provides. I'm thinking of it, of of turning data accessibility into harmonious melody um, uh, that resonates through the entire organization and everyone is, uh, is basically having fun with the data. Extremely poetic. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) The next year we'll not hear of AI, we will hear of data symphonies. Data symphonies. (laughs) I I, I feel like it's coined right here in the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have an uh, do you have any suggestions on how to do because the the fun part is kind of essential I don't know if it's essential but I I wish it's essential to get people searching and looking for things because ideally what you want to do is like okay so I want to try this out how can I check if it works or not like how can I get the data to validate my assumptions so there has to be some sort of nice way to them to like find this data and to do their to just do a check fairly simple uh i i don't think think there is one size uh fits all for all the organizations it, it no, really i think that's on the, difficult yes on, on the on the size of the organization on the specifics it, it may be one story in in let's say fintech organizations and a totally different story in the in the retail organizations let's, let's say um, but basically, it all boils down to um, to enlightening people and educating them. 
So the more entertaining our um, education and, and outreach efforts are, the more people are aware of what data can bring to their everyday uh, work. So I think it, it, it boils down to the, to the learning pro protocols that we are using in the organization. Yes, I think data is fun. I mean, it's hard. It's it's of course it's difficult to ask like an analyst if they think data is fun. Of course they think it's it's fun, especially when when they're solving a problem or something. And maybe that's how you need to frame frame the you know approach it. You know, do you have a problem that you need to solve? Can it be solved with data? Are you interested in leveraging, uh, you know, our shiny new capability to assist you with your problem? Uh, you know, rather than you need to be more data driven, you know, what does that mean, basically? Yeah. Um, so maybe framing the problem in a way that is understandable uh, and and accessible, I guess. Uh, you know, um, I think again, I think this this the, the 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 whole thinking around data driven and data driven culture is it it has become a little bit like uh, buzzwordy. That it, it doesn't feel very tangible for people um, who, you know, for example, are, you know, maybe sitting and doing product development, you know, how can I be more data driven? You know, it's not, it doesn't feel relevant to me. Um, but of course, it, it probably is uh, in some shape or form. They just don't know yet uh, how, how it can be relevant for them. Um, so I think it is a very slow process. And I think similar to how we've approached both governance and 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 sort of moving data onto the cloud you have to start small like you know pick a willing party <laughs> to prove mm -hmm. your to prove that data really does uh, sort of enhance your decision making capability and then maybe use them to evangelize to another group and then you know sort of build a community almost like a religion um Sort of. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I haven't been successful yet. So we'll we'll see how it works. <laughs> you need to, to call me when you get yes. close. No, but I think yeah. uh, I, I agree with you. It's a big. Um, it is a big challenge to. I yeah. think one the first obstacle is to make it easier for everyone. So it's not just just another tool, or you don't really understand what you look for. So make it easier, but then also force everyone to know their numbers and to follow up and also see I took this decision based on this what happened then because I think now maybe you just look at a figure then you don't know what it means or you look at it to make the decision but then you don't follow up or you don't even have a clear view of what will I follow up on so I agree it's it's a culture way of working uh, within management uh, and organization as a whole but um, Oh, it's uh, it's a struggle to make it fun. Sure. Nice. We'll move on now to um, the final question um, of the podcast, and this is Michaela's question. So, um, can you share a success story where data-driven insight significantly transformed a business strategy or operation? Um, so, Mikhailo, I suppose it's quite self-explanatory, that question, um, but if you'd like to get, give maybe a bit of background and then I'll let everybody um, jump in. Uh, I, I, uh, as, as they say sometimes, uh, a picture is worth a, a thousand words. Uh, and when we give an example of how data, um, of how a success story can transform organizations, 
it's so much easier to receive a buyout from the senior stakeholders to transform organizations into a data-driven uh, organization. Um, I have um, I have an example of my of one of my previous clients where I was assisting their internal IT functions in um, looking on their hardware strategy. Um, I came to uh, when when I joined, uh, I looked on. Um, on what they have been doing, and um, they basically have been stocking their inventory like crazy. Uh, the organization was in a super, in a hyper growth stage, and they just knew that they need to to buy as many computers as they can get on the market, especially given the chip shortage. So they were going like crazy, and they were totally overstocked. Um, and when I came there and started. Uh, providing them with uh, developing indicators, providing them with KPIs, showing them that actually even the existing stock is uh, is good enough to maintain the growth for nine months, even in the hyper growth stage, raising the risks. What happens if the hyper growth stage ends? They slowly came to the uh, realization that actually the data points that their entire st strategy of procuring uh, um, hardware is flawed and they are better transforming their um, their entire strategy into a leasing model. And that's what they did eventually. And uh, they uh, saved um, a couple of hundreds of millions of Swedish crowns on doing that. The good use case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> couple hundred. Mm -hmm. My, I mean, my case is not that big value. I mean, we, we, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think if you come to a, to an organization that doesn't have any advanced analytics or advanced analytic uh, products implemented, then any change you do will have a positive impact, right? That, that's the assumption. Given that you can get access to the data, you can clean it moderately well, and you can build models with it. Um, so for us, I think the biggest transformation has been within our CRM organization. When I joined, we didn't have any propensity models like implemented or in, in place. Um, so my first uh, like my first advanced analytic initiative was to build a framework for for um, um, building propensity models around our product offering that would be able to provide custom or provide both customer service, but also our CRM function, um, an indication of which customers are most likely to convert into X, Y, and Z product, right? Uh, and then they would use that information to either send campaigns or upsell, cross-sell, et cetera. Uh, so that's what we did. Uh, and, um, and I mean, the result of that, of course, has been that we have sold more, we have converted more customers. Uh, I don't know exactly what the amount of money that is, but um, today, because we don't measure it in that way, it's more that we measure sort of increase in conversion, lift in, in model performance or campaign performance, and then it's sort of different. We have different products. So, you know, the way you measure a card conversion is not the same way you would measure a loan conversion or a mortgage conversion. So it's sort of spread across. but. Of course, we've definitely had a positive impact, and now, uh, now we're migrating those same same models to to GCP. We we these models that we initially implemented were mon monthly, and now we're going to go to real time trigger based 
um, uh, sort of marketing, which is so exciting. I cannot even describe the feeling I have. We're just in the cusp of testing. So it'll be really interesting to see what lift we get. But we, we've moved a couple of models. And I think just moving the models from on-prem SaaS to GCP has given us a 30% lift in performance, which is insane. I couldn't even believe it. So yeah, so marketing, marketing models <laughs> has been my is my example. But did you then already have beforehand uh, like some set KPIs that you wanted to track so that you knew what they would achieve? Because otherwise um, I think that's the struggle that, you know, you you do things, but then you think of it uh, a bit down the path that, oh, we should have followed this up. What would be the KPIs yeah, and how do we isolate yeah. effects or so on? Or did, we, yeah. we we did. I mean, we, we measured a bit. Uh, over the year mm. and and we said okay six to nine million a year in terms of EBIT from these models which we have achieved that's fine but what we don't see is how for example converting uh, so we just measured the EBIT from that specific conversion but we don't see what effect that conversion has on increased engagement further down the line because that also mm. is value related to this specific conversion because the more engaged a customer is the more likely they are to engage further down the line. So we haven't measured that, but yes, of course, we, we reached the targets that we set. And then also there are services or products that don't really have a monetary value attached to them, but are more mm. like entry products. So how many card, how many customers did we convert into card and how many of those customers started sort of depositing the salary into our accounts? That doesn't have an immediate value. In fact, it has a cost. It's a negative <laughs> case. <laughs> but having your salary encourages conversion, sorry, encourages engagement with then, which then turns the case positive. So there's all these different ways you can measure and decide. But in terms of what we decided to measure, which was EBIT uh, uh, on those products that did give EBIT, we, we did reach our targets, yes. Yeah, my example would be more of a negative uh... One, unfortunately, that I worked in a, a previous assignment that uh, were uh, tracking or uh, it was basically a, a travel site uh, that uh, made recommendations on how to how to go back and forth. And uh, it was uh, making a big shift in the, the way that the UI was made and the mapping and how to show people their path. And uh, so they made, uh, uh, I think they divided uh, the audience in all the, the product in five pieces and made some sort of, okay, so what do people, how do they behave? And find found that uh, the new solution was the best one, uh, ideally. Like, so for all five groups, it went up. Uh, so, they saw that, okay, so we definitely gonna go with this new thing and then uh, uh, went with that. And uh, I think that what happened maybe three months down the line, uh, uh, that thing went really bad as it, sometimes you make some sort of, you see a behavior, but you can't really predict why you, sometimes people do things because it's new and shiny and then they stop using it because it doesn't really work. And that's what happened here. Uh, and sometimes you see the behavior because it's really great. And it's very difficult to know which is which, which kind of may, because I was so happy when I saw this 
that they went like, okay, so we decided between these two options and we see the numbers. It was so straightforward, so simple. And like the engineer in me kind of went like, yes, this is very simple. You don't need to sort of involve your gut feeling at all. You just look at the numbers, uh, super straightforward. This is easy business making. Uh, and uh, yes, I mean, I was on board with that, super impressed. And then it didn't work. Yeah, uh, okay. I, yeah it's, it's a little bit sad that data isn't so straightforward uh, so that you can make data-driven decision and it can still be wrong, yes. which is sort of a sad, I mean, of course, but, yeah, but it, it, I think it, it's always because uh, that's why I think it, data governance and also really understanding your data comes into play. I work, did worked a lot with eye tracking before, and is it good or bad that someone looks for a long time yeah. at something? Is it because they're super interested or is it because they don't understand? So you, I mean, you need to yeah. load that data with things. Why are they looking very long at something? Yeah. Because um, so I agree with you that sometimes you you think that it's easier than it is, but you also need to understand the rationale behind it. Uh, and, mm. and that's maybe not powered by data. It's now powered by knowledge and experience and uh, mm. sometimes even yeah. asking. The, and the gut feeling again, I feel sometimes yeah. mm. in an annoying way. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> but I think you learn much more from an experience like that uh, than you do from you know, things going 100% fine. Of course, it's great when things mostly go well. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of the experience you get from working with data is when you make sort of some big mistakes um, or even some little ones. But at least for me, I find that, you know, the the the, the experience from, uh, it doesn't always necessarily have to be a screw up, but but proving yourself wrong, having an hypothesis and being surprised that it's not actually as as you assumed. Um, it also keeps you, you know, questioning. Um, yeah. Hmm? And yeah, learning. Otherwise, yes. it's and exactly. it also not shows so much. the importance of never stop measuring because uh, yeah. things happen. Validating. So you always need mm. to keep track and validating and, uh, and so on. Mm. Yes. Oh, nice. Well, um, that's all we've got time for, really. So I'm going to go ahead and stop the podcast there. Um, but I think it's been a great conversation. And I just want to say thank you again to everybody who's joined us today. And thank you for everybody who's still listening as well. Um, so thank you very much, everyone.